Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Much of our society views getting older in a negative way. Reach a certain age and often we're ready to put you out the pasture or at least in a rocking chair. One of our guests today says that that may be the way it used to be. The baby gym generation is having a profound impact on aging, but not necessarily a positive effect. The York County Community Foundation has an initiative called Embracing Aging. Today we look into the project and we'll hear about leaving adulthood behind. And that's going to be kind of interesting. Joining us on the program today is Kathy Bollinger, the Managing Director of the York County Community Foundation's Embracing Aging Initiative. Ms. Bollinger, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And let me say that uh, we'll be joined by Dr. Bill Thomas uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, he'll be speaking in uh, York County in about a week or so, and uh, we'll tell you about that event. But uh, he'll be joining us in just a few minutes, we hope. Uh, so we'll be talking with Dr. Thomas as well. But let's talk about the, the initiative. Uh, tell us more about uh, Embracing Aging. Sure, Scott. So Embracing Aging is an initiative of the York County Community Foundation. So the vision of Embracing Aging, we're working to make York County a great place to age. And we're doing that by expanding age-inclusive thinking and by reducing barriers to aging well. Okay. Obviously, we have to talk about those things specifically. And how are you doing that? Sure. So what is expanding age-inclusive thinking? Age-inclusive thinking is when the needs and the perspectives of older adults are taken into consideration in the implementing and the planning of initiatives in the community. So um, what exactly does that look like? Well, let's give an example, for instance, at a grocery store. So possibly at a grocery store that applies age-inclusive thinking, uh, the grocery store might have several places within the grocery store that people could sit that have uh, chairs with arms on them so it's easy for older adults to get up and down. It might mean that uh, the products aren't too high on the shelves or too low on the shelves. Um, it might mean that there's magnifying glasses at the end of each of the aisles of the grocery store so that people who need help reading the small print on the labels would be able to see it. So that's expanding age-inclusive thinking. What's your, and I don't want to, and we will talk about the, this term in, in the program is ageism, but at the, the same time, and there's kind of like a philosophical point of view or a societal point of view too, I said in my introduction about uh, many times uh, we reach a certain age and call it retirement even, where we as a society are ready to put someone in a rocking chair that, okay, you're not working, you're not in the workforce any longer, you're no longer good to us. But I've often thought that uh, we as a society, and there are other cultures, other societies that do relish the wisdom and experience of older people, but very often we don't. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you say that because when Embracing Aging first evolved and people heard about it in the community, we received a lot of pushback about the name Embracing Aging and people not wanting to even go there and broach that subject. And for whatever reason, uh, unfortunately, we just seem to focus aging with decline and impairment instead of looking at it in a positive way and all the possibilities that it, it brings us. Yeah, you're right. I mean, off, yesterday, as I'm looking for photographs to put on our website, uh, I'm looking for happy older couples, 
and I see them in the, the pictures that were offered. Uh, uh, you know, they're in poses or doing things like playing bingo and all those things that uh, have become almost stereotypical. This is what you do mm-hmm. when you retire. Well, no, that's not what you do. Right. You're exactly right. And that's one of the reasons we're so excited to have Dr. Bill Thomas be coming to York County as part of the Embracing Aging Initiative on Monday, because he certainly helps people reframe and challenge those stereotypes. Well, let's bring in Dr. Thomas. Dr. Bill Thomas is a renowned geriatrician and author of the book Second Win, Navigating the Passage to a Slower, Deeper and More Connected Life. Dr. Thomas, welcome to the program. Glad to be with you. Well, you've probably heard uh, our last little exchange there about how we as a society view aging. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. uh, You know, the comment was made, and it it couldn't be more true, that we we live in a world that equates aging with decline. And, you know, I'm a geriatrician, so I've spent my years of training and and practice really, uh, you know, face-to-face with a lot of very difficult issues. And the thing I've learned is that aging is actually a complicated thing that includes some elements of decline, no doubt, but also some tremendous opportunities for growth, uh, for some of the wisdom that you were talking about, and for uh, older people to make very vital and important contributions to society. So when the comment was made about uh, pushback on embracing aging, I know exactly what you mean. It we, we have a complicated relationship with aging. No society has ever succeeded like we have at, at uh, creating old age on a mass level. And no society has misunderstood aging more painfully. Well, and you know, I, I know that being in the, the business I'm in, the com- mm-hmm. communications business, that obviously words mean something. Mm-hmm. But it, it I have to say that it surprises me a little bit that... Uh, Kathy, you would get some pushback on the word embracing. If we if we said embracing youth, everyone would rally around that. But if we say embracing aging like, okay, this is something positive, this is something that, uh, just as Dr. Thomas said, is an opportunity, and people push back against that. Yeah, uh, it, it makes them uncomfortable, and I and I yeah. don't understand why, but it does. Hmm. Well, uh, I can I can say too. Um, you were talking about some of the pictures that you were seeking yes. out on the, the internet. The the pictures that people have in their minds is a picture of frailty and loss and weakness. And um, one thing I always like to uh, remind audiences that I'm speaking to, you know, I'm just speaking to audiences of adults, really, of all ages, in different places around the country and around the world. And I'll just say to them, um, who here in this audience can run the 50-yard dash as fast as you could when you were a senior in high school? And no one no one raises their hand. And we're all perfectly comfortable with the fact that we can't run the 50-yard dash as fast as we used to, because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what matters is your broadcaster with, with you know, years of experience in interviewing guests. That matters more than the 50-yard dash. So the problem around aging is that we focus on the fact that you can't run the 50-yard dash as fast, and we leave off the page that the idea that you've developed all these other really tremendous insights and abilities across the long life. And kind of what you're describing here is that physical decline 
is what mm-hmm. everyone sees. They don't look mm-hmm. into the person. They don't, um, and, and I'm making a broad statement here, that often they don't uh, think about uh, that wisdom, that experience, the mental capacities. I mean, yes, if you're a 25-year-old, you you can do a lot of things with uh, your iPhone, with the technology yeah. that maybe the 65-year-old can't. But there are a lot of things that that 65-year-old has done over the years that you never have thought of, you've never experienced, and you don't know anything about. <laughs> Very true. I can tell you, a couple of years ago, I was on tour around the country, and I, I put together a performance where I did part of the show on stilts. I had these uh, two-foot-tall sheetrocker uh, stilts, and I had a special pair of pants built so that, you know, well, you couldn't see the stilts. And I came out and I did the first part of the performance, and then we had a little break. I came out after the break wearing the stilts, and people were like, holy cow, wow, you know, this is an eight-foot-tall man, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> and the point I made was this. If, if human beings were made in such a way that we grew on the outside the same way we grew on the inside, then 90-year-old people would be eight feet tall. You know, they would be, you would see it visibly with your eyes as you walked down the street and you looked up at an 80-year-old. And the problem we have in our culture is, and this gets to your comment, the problem we have is the growth is on the inside. And you can't see it just walking down the street. In order to see it, you have to know the person. You have to be in a relationship. You have to you have to really understand that person's life. And that's why older uh, many people have pretty positive attitudes about their own older relatives and they have usually not all families, but usually a pretty high regard for their own older relatives and a very negative regard for older people they don't know. It's because the growth is on the inside, not the outside, and it takes uh, takes some time and effort to really see that growth fully the way you do in an older relative uh, that you love. You know, and I'm just a, a, a quick uh, story experience. A few years ago here at WITF, we had a project where uh, we were interviewing World War II veterans, mm. and um, we had about 30 of them come in over the, the course of a week. And I was doing the interviews, and I have to say that as they walked into the studio, some with help, you know, I looked at them physically and said, oh, and, you know, I didn't really judge. But then they sat down and started telling, they're talking about their experiences. And I'm like, wow, this guy is a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People today would, would not look at this man or woman because we had women as well um, and say, there's a hero. Because they were judging, and I guess I was doing it as well, yeah. uh, just looking at their physical body, what they looked like at that point in their lives. But then once you heard their stories, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just brings a new appreciation to that, to just what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, for several years in that early part of my career, I also I did obstetrics also. So I was... Uh, attending births and helping mothers give birth, and I have to tell you, you know, I, I, you know, it was really a great experience holding these newborns and so on. And then I made a career shift into geriatrics, so I found myself at the bedside of people who were dying, you know, very commonly, you know, as part of my work. And I reflected on this 
what you're saying. I reflected on this incredible journey that we humans take. When we're born, you know, most of us are born with a, a body that's just about perfect, you know. And over a long lifetime, we trade away that body, that per- perfect body, and you know, you know, I mean, with the lumps and bumps and aches and pains, we trade that away in return for a story. And so that's what older people, you know, the body is no longer perfect, but that person is in possession of an extraordinary story. And um, when you think about it, um, every newborn has a perfect body and no story, and every very old person near the end of their life, um, like there's World War II vets, uh, they have a body that's no longer perfect, but an extraordinary story. Absolutely. And that's, that's an exchange that, you know, I'll take seven times out of seven. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. Our guest today, Kathy Bollinger, Managing Director of the York County Community Foundation's Embracing Aging Initiative, and Dr. Bill Thomas, a renowned geriatrician and author of the book Second Wind, Navigating the Passage to a Slower, Deeper, and More Connected Life. We welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call at 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on witf.org or on WITS Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. If you have something that you've had on your mind about aging and how we as a society view aging, we'd like to hear from you. 1-800-729-7532. And Kathy Bollinger, we should mention that one of the reasons we have Dr. Thomas on the program today is that he will be speaking next week in your county at your college. Talk about that event, if you will. Sure. So on Monday, January 25th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Dr. Thomas will be speaking on the journey to embracing aging. And that's going to be held at the Waldner Performing Arts Center at York College in York, Pennsylvania. It is a free event, but we are asking people to pre-register. You can go to the Community Foundation's website at www.yccf.org. Again, yccf.org. Org. Now, before we get back to talking with Dr. Thomas about uh, his book and uh, some of the things he's going to speak on uh, Monday, it is Monday, right? Yes, Monday. Yeah, I just want to make sure. My, my calendar is all messed up in my head. Uh, 2012 Milken Institute report said that your county ranked 201st out of 259 small metros for best cities for successful aging. Uh, that's not good. No, it isn't. It isn't good. Um, however, uh, we are at the Community Foundation are using that as fuel to help us uh, as we are working to make York County a great place to age. So understanding what those data points are and also understanding how the Milken Institute is collecting some of those data points. I, you have to think about the reports, some right. of the things. Do you know what they looked at? Um, I, I do know. I don't have that with me in, in front of me at this moment in time, but I know that they look at a, a lot of public data. They don't necessarily speak with people directly, so I do know that it's public data that they're looking at. What what kind of public data? Like, uh, you know, th- that there are 
events that there are things that uh, older people can do that's available to them they look at that they look at the number of doctor's offices the number of uh, hospital beds in in the hospital uh, Alzheimer's uh, units within the hospital uh, it looks at uh, a, a whole variety of things how many banks there are within a certain area how many grocery stores within a certain area I don't know. I don't like the idea of how many <laughs> Alzheimer's facilities and hospital beds there are because that goes back to the stereotype that right. we were talking about. Right, right. I mean, that kind of, that's how you define successful aging. That does, I don't know. I just a public, just a just a personal opinion there. So, uh, yeah. you, you know, I just wanted to throw that out. Uh, but before uh, we're getting Dr. Thomas back on the line here, we had a cell phone, uh, and we're we're trying to get him back on the line here on a landline, so it's a little clearer, and he'll be with us in just a minute. Um, but th this project, uh, you mentioned, like the grocery store, for example. What other forms has it taken? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to share with you that uh, in Pennsylvania, one in six people are age 65 and older, and that's projected to uh, go to one in four by 2035. In York County, though, we have 37% of the people living in our community who are age 50 and older. And that's why this is so important that we start to pay attention and, and really think about what we can do to ensure that our community is a great place to age. So some of the other things that we're doing within Embracing Aging, I gave some examples of what age-inclusive thinking is in terms of a grocery store. Um, but other things that we're doing are trying to reduce barriers to aging well and one of the areas that we're trying to reduce barriers is to address ageism and uh, one of the things that we did was we worked with a group of older adults to create a training that we're taking out to employers in York County uh, it's for employees of all ages and it's to help them become more aware of their words and their actions around aging biases Okay, Dr. Thomas, I want to bring you back in. We we're, see we're getting a lot of phone calls, so we'll get to the phone in, in just a moment. But uh, uh, Dr. Thomas, uh, in your book, and w when you have your speaking engagements, like you will next week at uh, your college, you talk a lot about the baby boom generation. And one of the reasons that we do, well, there are a few reasons, but one of the reasons is because that we're getting older is that this baby boom generation is reaching retirement age every day. We have more people reaching 65, 67, whatever age they want to retire. Uh, but you also write that the baby boom generation is different than others that came before it. Why? That's very true. Well, um, because compared to the size of American society, the baby boom generation was bigger and more concentrated than any other generation in the history of America. And as a result, the baby boom generation has had the ability to actually to bend American culture around it. So, of course, in the 60s and 70s, this was all about the incredible youth quake. And um, during the you know 80s and 90s, it was all about you know uh, Wall Street and uh, you know Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And now here we are in the teens, and we're going to, that conversation is going to be shifting because this enormous number of people is getting ready to leave the full-time paid workforce. And it's going to be uh, what I kind of call an age quake. It's going to uh, upset a lot of the status quo in some, actually, some pretty exciting uh, new ways that if we think about it and we prepare for, 
going to make America a better place to live. And let's talk broadly about this uh, so I can take some uh, some questions and comments on the air, and then we'll get into some of the specifics. But uh, you break down the baby boom generation and actually those who are aging into three subcultures. Yeah. What are they? And quickly, what are their characteristics? Yeah, very quickly. And you can think about this in terms of people you know. Um, there's one group of people who just, and these are the people who have a hard time with embracing aging. They don't want to hear about it. They're in denial. They want to uh, look, act, feel, behave, and be perceived as young. End of story. Don't even talk to me about aging. Then there's a group I call the realists. The realists say, you know, aging, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But... I'm going to wear sensible shoes, I'm going to take flaxseed oil, I'm going to do Sudoku puzzles, and I'm going to walk every day. So not because aging is good, but because aging is bad. And finally, and this is what's exciting about York and the community there, you've got people there who fall into the group I call enthusiasts. And as strange as it may sound, there are people all across America who are looking at aging and saying, wow, that's interesting. Let's go there. Let's explore aging. Let's explore what it means. Let's explore its depth and value. So denialists, realists, and enthusiasts. And uh, they have very different views on what it means uh, to age. And we're going to talk more specifics about all three in just a few minutes. Let's take some phone calls, though. Ken is in Lingolstown. Ken, you're on the air. Hello, Ken? Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just uh, commented. Just hearing your last comment, I'm one of the, I'm a boomer, I'm 67, uh, embracing aging. <laughs> I was mountain biking over Sunday and still ride bike about 1,500 miles a year. But anyway, my story is I was uh, do mission work for the last 20 years. Uh, I was fortunate to retire early. But anyway, I was in a seminar with these 80-year-old church ladies, and, you know, they're prim and proper, and we're talking because we're doing mission work in Sierra Leone. Uh-huh. And to hear them tell their stories, here they were leaving Sierra Leone on short-term mission work just as the rebel war was breaking out. Yeah. And they were telling these stories of coming home with malaria because mm-hmm. they didn't have the water filtration like we have today and actually running from the airport terminal to the plains under gunfire. <laughs> and it was just... It, it didn't fit. I'm sitting at this table with these 80-year-old prim and proper church lady telling these stories about running from rebels. And it was just, uh, you're right, until you talk to people and, and get to meet them, it's just amazing, you know, the stories and the, the wealth of wisdom and knowledge they have. Hey, Ken, thank you very much for your story. Yeah. Dr. Thomas, I'm biking. I, 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 that's right. I mean, the first thing when he said that uh, about riding uh, on his mountain bike over the weekend, I'm thinking, okay, is he embracing or is he denying? But uh, no, ah. <laughs> that's a good question, though. That is a good question. And I can tell you, and, and I'm, I really appreciate his comments uh, all the way around. You know, uh, it, it, it's not the behavior that tells you the answer. It's what people think about what's next. So if you're riding your bike over the weekend because this is going to keep me young, nobody's going to think I'm old because I'm riding my bike, then you're a denialist. If you're riding your bike over the weekend because you love it and it feels good 
and it's part of who you are, and you're on a you know you're on a, a journey into a new phase of life. That's great. That's a different way of perceiving the world. So what's interesting? It has a lot to do, um, and this gets back to this comment about embracing aging. Has a lot to do with how comfortable a person is saying the words, "I am embracing aging." And I thought I thought that call was a terrific example of somebody who was embracing aging. If I could make one quick follow-up with the the eighty-year-old uh, uh, women, eighty-year-old women have pretty amazing stories to tell, and our culture does not hear those stories unless you sit down with them. And that's our loss, much more our loss than their loss. And Kathy, that sounds like what the project is trying to do is to change that thinking toward sitting, if we use that example, of sitting down and listening to people. Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, what a concept. That's exactly <laughs> right. And one of the things, one of the ways we're trying to reduce barriers is by encouraging more opportunities for intergenerational uh, learning and, and doing just that, having those exchanges. I recently accompanied a group of uh, high school students to a senior center, and uh, they were going there for t- to spend two hours there with them. And as we were walking there, I asked them, how old is old? Like, what age do you become an older adult? And they they weren't sure really what to say, and no one actually came out and said an age at all except one of the, the teenage guys said, uh, I'm looking forward to becoming a grandpa. I think that's going to be cool. But that was the closest I got to getting an answer. But in any event, when we got to the to the senior center, and at first, you know, and I asked him, I said, how, how many of you have older adults that you interact with on a regular basis? And uh, they didn't really, you know, have grandparents that lived close by so they didn't have the opportunity but as they were sitting there and at first they didn't know you know they were trying to play games but there wasn't a whole lot of conversation but as the conversation got going and they were hearing the stories they were just a completely different group of high school kids walking back to where you know after they were done volunteering that day because they were like oh my gosh wow this is so cool do you know that person did this and that person did that and and that's why it's just so important. So you're right. It really is. All right, let's take some more phone calls. We have Dennis in Lancaster. Dennis, you're on the air. Dennis. Hello, Scott. Hi, how are you? Great. Listen, I, I love your program this morning. Uh, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, like I do a lot of training and stuff on aging in place, which is a term we haven't used here this morning. But, you know, and just some of the data, like it has been mentioned, is 10,000 pe- uh, people retiring every day. That's what's happening with the baby boomers, and it's going to continue. And I love Dr. Thomas's comment about how they've just moved all of society. And then um, uh, Kathy was saying that one in six Pennsylvanians are over 65. Pennsylvania might be the third or fourth oldest state, but it's aging faster than any other state. Mm-hmm. And then also with all of these people retiring, you wouldn't notice from Lancaster County, but this whole thing, the state of Pennsylvania has an initiative to have people have services in their home so they can age in their own houses as opposed to, you know, having to go move to a retirement community. And, you know, uh, full disclosure here, you know, I, 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 what my business is, is is reverse mortgages, and I see this aging in place. Uh, what's, what's happening over time is that, 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 that we're having like $10 trillion most people, their house is their largest asset, housing is their largest expense, and I'd like to have these guys comment on this. So for people to live in their own houses, their biggest fear is that they're going to run out of money. 
and they'll still be alive. So, uh, the, so taking equity out of their house while they continue to live there and not have to make payments, it gives them housing. All right. And uh, well, Dennis, so thank in you. Lancaster, we have the Downtowners Association that has to do with uh, creating a dream spot for people to live in the city. So mm. thanks for taking my comment. All right. Thank you very much for your call. And uh, Dr. Thomas, he brings up uh, several points, and we can talk about uh, you know the money aspect of it, the financial aspect of it. But you know something I thought of when uh, Dennis was was talking to us is that. One of the biggest fears that people have, and let's face it, there are a lot of people who are afraid, who are frightened, who do dread getting older because they have heard so many stories and they have heard about, you know, what it's like in this country, how uh, the culture does uh, treat you and uh, how you no longer is a, a valuable citizen like you once were. And again, I'm making blanket statements here. But mm-hmm. one of the things that he points out is that most people, when asked, the overwhelming majority would rather stay in their homes. They're afraid of having to go to a nursing home. They're afraid of having to go to an assisted living facility where they have to count on other people. And talk about that, if you would, and how that fits into uh, the denialist, the realist, and the enthusiast. Well, you know, uh, there's research that's been published that shows that older people in America fear institutionalization more than they fear death. So um, there's a kind of loss that's perceived uh, for people who have to leave their homes and enter into a care facility that Americans are especially uh, fearful of and that they dread. So um, I think that one of the things we need to do as a culture and a society is create more choices. You know, there's no law of the universe, there's no law of physics that says that older people living with frailty have to be put in a nursing home. That's a choice. That's something that we've chosen to do. And um, the 21st century is making some exciting new alternatives available to people. So I think what you're going to find in the years, you know, the next decade or so, you're going to find that older people spend less and less time, hear hear me on this, older people spend less and less time in the hospital, less and less time in care facilities, and more and more time living in the community surrounded by people they know and care about. That's the trend that's coming. And what's going to make it possible is a big shift toward more urban denser, more urban living, and um, one of the things that's happening around the country is that older people are actually leading, uh, along with the millennials, older people are leading a renaissance in cities of all sizes all across America. I, I actually happen to live in Ithaca, New York, which is a small city in upstate New York, and the number of older people moving into the city of Ithaca is, uh, is very large. Because it turns out that if you want to be independent and if you want to have a place to live where you can stay in your own home, you need a smaller dwelling, for example, in an apartment or a condo, and it needs to be in a dense, walkable neighborhood. If you have a big, rambling house in a suburb, you're at high risk for losing your independence. So this idea of taking that capital, that cash, that worth, that value in a house, 
and translating it into a living arrangement that's more urban, more dense, smaller, easier to take care of, walkable with lots of great neighbors, that's your ticket to a more independent future if you're an older person. But at the same time, I will say this, reality is is that uh, there are people whose health has declined. I mean, you know, my own mother is in a facility because uh, she's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she has other physical ailments that yep. we just could she needs 24-7 care. And there are a lot of people out there, but just making the point that... Uh, uh, yeah, and, and if I could... So I... That, and as a geriatrician, you know, I mean, I... Those are the people I spent most of my time with, you know, as a geriatrician. The thing we're after, and this is important to understand, is to take that length of time when somebody needs that 24-hour care and make that as short as possible so that you get as long as possible living in the place of your choosing and being, you know, supported, supporting yourself and being supported by your neighbors and friends and family. And the time that you spend receiving 24-hour care is as short as possible, then we'll call that a success. Mm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing aging. We're discussing getting older, and we're talking about uh, uh, embracing aging, a project and initiative that the York County Community Foundation uh, is, is overseeing right now. Our guest, Kathy Bollinger, who's managing director of the Embracing Aging Initiative, and Dr. Bill Thomas, a renowned geriatrician and author of the book Second Wind, Navigating the Passage to a Slower, Deeper, and More Connected Life. We welcome your questions and comments. Maybe you have stories to tell. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF. Org. And if you're one of those younger people, you can go to Facebook. Uh, I'm joking about that because we know that, uh, in fact, the kids got uh, upset when uh, all of us over the age of 30 started going to Facebook. So I'm joking about that. 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a call from Paul in York. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Thanks Paul. for taking the call. I'm wondering if uh, either of your guests are familiar with the work of Dr. David uh, DeGrazia at Washington University, George Washington University in D.C., uh, and the non-essentialists in reference to dementia and human personhood. Uh, DeGrazia is widely published on this topic, and he maintains that when you reach a profound uh, dementia or diminished cognition of mental capacity, that you cease being a person, and uh, we know the Supreme Court has said that only persons are protected by the law. Uh, and I'm wondering the impact of that. DeGrazia was on the Presidential Bioethics Commission uh, for a number of years. He's widely regarded in this arena. And uh, how that threatens the dignity of the aging person, and especially the person uh, who's developed uh, dementia. All right, Paul. Thank you very much for your call. Very thoughtful call. Dr. Thomas, are you familiar with this? Yes. Um, so, you know, really what, what, we're, what we're talking about here is um, actually the importance of something called advanced directives. And it, it's the, the point is people, we live in a society that holds that people should be able to choose um, their, their course in life 
and you know what they want and don't want. And there are a couple of things that are important. One, any any person can refuse any has a right to refuse any medical treatment. In other words, in our culture, outside of some bizarre exceptions in the legal system, you can choose to either accept or reject any um, any particular medical treatment. What is the question here is what happens when a person loses that ability to choose and it can't you say to a person would you would you like to do this or would you like to do that and the person is not able to form a judgment about which they prefer in that case um, there's a whole complicated legal process to judge a person incompetent and so on and in some ways that person in legally speaking, loses their autonomy and their personhood. A much, much better approach is to take the time that's needed to think about and fill out some very simple forms that let people know what you want and don't want. And I can just tell you from a medical point of view, doctors love it, love it when patients have done this kind of work in advance. So then when the person's in a position where they're not able to choose, we're able to consult the wisdom and judgment of that person as recorded when they filled out the form, and they are then able to get the care or not get the care or get whatever they preferred, um, and it's defined in advance. The big problem, and I'm, I'm, I have my little doctor hat on here, the big problem is where people don't do this and come to the end of their life and they're living with dementia and nobody knows what they would have wanted or not wanted for sure, and then the legal system gets involved and they are judged incompetent and it's all all bad. Uh, nobody likes that system. Mm -hmm. So I'm using this as a plea for people to fill out those forms because it's a way of protecting your future self. Kathy, is this something that's part of the project? I mean, uh, obviously, what we're talking about here is people's present, but also their future. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did in 2015, in October 2015, is we, uh, Embracing Aging, helped sponsor the Han Home Fund of uh, York County Community Foundation is actually the fund that uh, the operating budget and uh, the grants for Embracing Aging comes out of. And uh, through that fund, we were able to bring Tipa Snow to York County, and she is a, a leader in Alzheimer's and dementia. And one of the things that she focused on in encouraging people to talk about was reframing our thinking when it comes to um, how we view people with dementia. And of course, uh, like Dr. Thomas said, it is very important to get those advanced directives done. But the other thing for caregivers and, and that we we're focusing on is trying to get caregivers to reframe their thinking when it comes to interacting with people with dementia. And Tipa used this phrase, and I just thought it was so good. She said, no one wants to eat the donut because of the hole. The hole is what makes the donut. And she went on to say, people living with dementia are not less. They are whole with what they have left. And I think that it's really important for us to be thinking that way uh, about people living with dementia. We have an email from Faith who says, I can certainly identify with this topic. I was invited, and she has invited, uh, in quotes, to retire early at the age of 61, so that's business. Moving on, I'm now only 64 in good health and have been struggling to find supplemental earnings through a part-time job with a wealth of diverse professional experience from administrative to logistical analysis, a master's degree in American studies, earned late in life, 
and excellent references. It's like I have a disease. I tried making, taking temp jobs, but can only earn up to my Social Security max. Here's this bargain that no one in business wants. Uh, Dr. Thomas, sounds like somebody we're talking to today. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. One, ironically, even though she has experienced uh, ageism in the workplace and been, frankly, by her description, discriminated against, um, the fact is older workers, studies have shown that older workers perform better, have better, um, you know, are more, attend work better, have less absenteeism, and perform uh, at a higher level given uh, their pay. So older workers are actually a good deal for businesses on a factual level. What gets in the way is the ageism that says younger is better than older in all cases, no exceptions. And that's what interferes with otherwise very rational business people from understanding that older workers are the best value out there. So I, I know that AARP is leading a campaign uh, against ageism in the workplace and actually trying to educate employers about the value of older workers, and I, I really hope they succeed in that because I think it's important. That the experience of the writer of that email is an asset that took decades to develop and it shouldn't be wasted. You also write, that's my take. You also write that denialist and realist these subcultures that uh, you mentioned, these subgroups, that deniest, denialist and realist fuel ageism. Why? Right. Well, because if, if, if what happens very often is that people who are discriminated against for some reason, often in any culture, they often internalize that, the, the basis of that discrimination. So um, I'll give you the classic example. Um, young girls in math. In our culture, we have a belief that's completely unfounded, that boys are better at math than girls. That's actually not true. What happens is young girls get messages that you're better at writing, you're better at, at stories and poetry, and the boys are better at math. Well, that's not true. And, the, and what winds up happening is girls wind up internalizing, oh, I hate math, I hate math, math is too hard. And so the culture really implants an idea in people's heads, for example, with girls in math, that's not backed up by the evidence. In aging, the culture says to older people, you're not worth as much as you used to be, your, value, your experience is not valued, and people internalize that, and they then have the older people themselves develop negative attitudes toward aging and older people. I mean, it's, it's a weird phenomenon, but it is, it's, it's known, and some of the most ageist people in America are older people. Hmm. Sorry to All right, let's take a phone call here from Linda in New Providence. Linda, thanks for being patient. Oh, you're very welcome. Good morning, Kathy and Scott and Dr. Thomas. Um, I am a baby boomer. I'm aging. I would uh, describe myself as most days an enthusiast, uh, some days a realist. <laughs> um, I embrace the opportunity to age, but I have to be honest and say I do not relish everything that comes with it. Um, those are the days when I feel I'm a realist. 
I try to ride my road bike 2,000 to 2,500 miles a year, but I'm also understanding that I will not always be able to keep up that mileage. The thing that I hear in this discussion, and by the way, and I appreciate the efforts in, in York County, I would like to see those in Lancaster County as well. Um, what I hear in the discussion so many times is we appreciate old people suddenly because we realize they have wonderful stories to tell. But the truth about aging is the mental and physical can't really be separated. There is some mental decline because of the physical decline, and there are many seniors who are not able to tell those extraordinary stories, but have them nonetheless. And I would like to see our culture come to a point of appreciating those seniors who are not able necessarily to communicate those extraordinary stories, but simply based on our understanding that they have experienced them. Mm -hmm. so, hey, thank you very much for making that point. Uh, Dr. Thomas? Well, this is a great comment. Uh, a couple of points were made there. First off, um, th the best way we know to help a person maintain a level of mental acuity, we call it acuity, through the later decades of life is physical activity. Getting your heart pumping is good for the brain. So the riding the bicycle, the number of miles is admirable, but not as important as the fact that you're getting the heart pumping, which feeds the brain. The better you feed your brain, the better it retains acuity that you feel is important to your quality of life. People, people will take all these supplements and they'll do all these other sometimes strange things when the fact is exercise is good for your brain. Walking is good for your brain. So I have to start with that. Second thing is that, <clears throat> you know, this idea that older people are valuable only for what they offer us is, is in part a dangerous idea. You know, if older people are, are valuable workers or they have a valuable story they can tell, then we see them as worthy. I'm actually, I stand as a geriatrician, I stand for the idea that older people are valuable no matter what. So if you take a person living in his mid-90s with advanced dementia, can't eat, can't over, can't walk, can't talk, can't see, can't hear, I'm going to tell you right now on the radio, that is a valuable human being. That person is here among us to teach us about compassion and the worth of the human being at every point in the journey. And that it shame on us if we're not able to receive the gift that person is giving us. Um, in our culture and to perceive the value of that human being regardless of the fact that that person can't walk or talk or remember. Let's take another call from Rebecca in Harrisburg. Rebecca, I understand that this is a topic near and dear to you. It is, actually. Um, I am the executive director of the Pennsylvania Association of Area Agencies on Aging. And forgive me if you have mentioned the Area Agencies on Aging already. I just jumped in my car and and heard this and had I couldn't help myself I had to call in but I just wanted to mention that you know the area agencies on aging are in every county of Pennsylvania um, they're a wonderful resource for older adults and for caregivers frankly um, and so I just wanted to remind everyone that that they're um, that they're out there you can actually see a listing of all of the area agencies on aging 
on our website, which is p4a.org. Um, that's P, uh, the, the letter P, uh, the number four, and then a.org, and you can actually see all of them. And then feel free to call them and see what kinds of resources might be available um, to you know the seniors in your life through the area agencies on aging. Well, thank you very much for uh, making that suggestion. You know, one thing I like is, uh, and this is one of the reasons that I'm glad that the York County Community Foundation suggested the topic uh, is that we are getting people thinking about this uh, today. Let's take one more call. Brenda is in Cadoras. Brenda, thanks for being patient. Thank you. I want to sort of brag about what has worked for me. Um, concerning my mind, tutoring dyslexic people using the Orton-Gillingham method, which works, is uh, exhilarating, or has been, and I can indulge in a passion for painting pictures and for growing veggies and fruit, and then concerning my more my body than my mind, keeping looking as okay as possible, and secondly, keeping my hair home-dyed. And people say they think that I'm in my 60s, but I'm in my mid-80s and having a wonderful time still. I, well, and Brenda, I love your accent. I know you've been told that over your 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you don't have to apologize. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, like about two minutes left. I want to thank uh, both of you for being on the program today. Uh, you, one thing, I hate to ask you to do this quickly, uh, Dr. Thomas, but uh, you, you talk about a stage above adulthood. Oh, uh, what yeah. is that? Wow, and we are we have a, a wonderful example of that in the caller who just, uh, just left us. That is elderhood. So... A child grows up and becomes an adult. An adult grows up and becomes an elder. And if you're lucky, you live in a world where elders have, have a voice, have respect, and have an ability to share and transmit the wisdom of a lifetime. Hmm. Hey, and, Kathy, enjoyed the program. I, I, I hope you have, too. Uh, I, I know that... Uh our listeners out there have. But uh, again, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bill Thomas, uh, we can have, uh, uh, let's give some the information so that people can uh, come on Monday and hear him in person. Sure. Uh, so again, Dr. Thomas will be coming to York College at the Waldner Performing Arts Center at York College in, in York, Pennsylvania on Monday, January 25th. He'll be speaking at 3 o'clock, 3 to 4, and then 4 to 4.30. We have a book signing and a reception following his presentation. Kathleen Bollinger is the Managing Director of the York County Community Foundation's Embracing Aging Initiative. And Dr. Bill Thomas is a renowned geriatrician and author of the book Second Wind, Navigating the Passage to a Slower, Deeper, and More Connected Life. Thank both of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Today's Embracing Aging conversation is part of WITF's Transforming Health Project, covering health news, healthy aging, and today's evolving healthcare landscape. Visit transforminghealth.org for more. Transforming Health is an educational partnership of WITF, Penn State Hershey Medical Center, and Wellspan Health. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. We'll be talking about uh, natural gas drilling, possibly another uh, proposal for taxing that that comes up on tomorrow's show.